Let's begin with a word of prayer. My prayer this morning is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. So we've been looking at the promises of Advent. The first week was the promise of heaven. Last week was the promise of salvation. And this week is the promise of a savior. And uh, I went over John 3.16 with the children before they went to Sunday school. But I wish we would make people memorize John 3.17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Jesus did not come with a big stick to hit all us sinners on the head. He came with his heart and his hand open to invite us back into that relationship with God. And sometimes the the world thinks of us as pointing our finger at all the people around us telling us what they're doing wrong. And my mom always said, if you point your finger at somebody else, you got three more pointing back at you. God did not send his son into the world to contemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. So, it reminds me of a story of a a missionary nurse in Africa. Her name was Karen, and her family lived in the U.S., and Christmas was coming. And uh, Wiki will attest to this. Missionaries don't make a lot of money. And she really wanted to send something home to her family to to show them how much she loved them and thought of them during the holidays. And she thought and she thought. And one day a little box arrived at her family's doorstep and it said, do not open until Christmas morning. And when they opened the box, it had envelopes with each member of the family's name on it. And they all took their envelopes and they opened up and they were torn pieces of paper. And then they realized it was a homemade puzzle. And they started to put the puzzle together. And uh, Karen had drawn a picture of a heart. And in it she had written, silver and gold have I none, but that which I have, I offer to you, my heart. Today's promise is a savior. God has sent us puzzle pieces throughout history. And at the moment of Jesus' birth, all of the puzzle pieces come into place. And God says, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I offer unto you, not my heart, but my son. Jesus was sent to save us from our sins. He's also sent to to conquer three other things we're going to talk about today. Disillusionment, defeat, and death. So probably the most famous Christmas story other than the birth of Jesus, and perhaps Rudolph, is Ebenezer Scrooge. And I don't know if you know this, but one of um, Dickens' relatives does a live reading over at the Winter Tour Museum. You can go and sit, and he will read the entire book to you, which is pretty cool, except they do it like Christmas Eve at 4 or 5 in the afternoon, so none of us can go because we'll be here for church. But one day, maybe when I'm retired, I'm going to go. And we all know the story about Ebenezer Scrooge who had built up a a large amount of wealth for himself and a nice house and nice clothes. And yet when he got towards the end of his life, he was convicted and then saved by the knowledge that what he had chased after was not what was most important. The three ghosts come to visit. I love the story of Scrooge because it's conviction and redemption. It's it's an echo of what Jesus did for us. 
So the North Carolina News and Observer, it's a newspaper, did a survey to find out how you would measure a man in the 20th century. And these are the answers that people sent in. His ability to make and save money was number one. The cost and style and year of his car was two. Three, how much hair he had. Four was his strength and his size. I'm not doing very well here. I do have some hair, though. His job title. Is he a lawyer or a doctor or a dentist? Was number five. Six was the sports team he likes. Seven was the number of clubs or organizations he belongs to or supports. And eight was his aggressiveness and reliability. That's how secular society measures a man in the 20th century. And I know we live in the 21st, but we're not that far removed from the 20th century. Like Scrooge, they were worthless. All of those things are worthless without a change of heart. So Jesus comes to save us from defeat. I'm sorry. Jesus comes to save us from disillusionment. How does God see you? Does God look at your car? Does God look at your bank account? Does God look at the hairs on your head? We know that he counts them. No. God, I'm just going to read it and then put it down. God says that you are worth the price that he paid for you. You are worth the price that God paid for you, which happened on the day of Christmas. Jesus was sent to show us his heart. Please don't be disillusioned by the measure of a man of the world. Be excited by the measure of a man in Jesus Christ. The second thing that Jesus comes to save us from is defeat. And I have two stories for you. One I sort of knew, but I looked up and now I know better. Robert May worked for Montgomery Ward. And Montgomery Ward felt that in 1939 their sales weren't where they wanted to be for Christmas. And they needed a new marketing ploy. And they decided that it should be a story, a book, a coloring book for kids at Christmas. And Robert May took two famous stories, the story of Santa Claus and the Ugly Duckling. I never knew this. And merged them together and came up with the story of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Now, as soon as I said that, as soon as I read that for myself, I was like, Oh, shoot, it's the story of the ugly duckling, right? The ugly ducking, they say you're an ugly duck. He goes off by himself, turns into a swan, and then comes back. Rudolph, remember, the reindeer wouldn't play other reindeer games with him, like Monopoly, off he goes. He goes into a a young buck, and then he comes. Wow. In our defeat, like Rudolph, God says, I can help you. I can grow you. I can make you the man or woman I want you to be. That's why we resonate with the story of Rudolph. There are times when we all feel like ugly ducklings or reindeer with red noses. And God says, I'll take you however and wherever you are. Jesus turns defeat into victory. Now, there's another Rudolph I want you to think about, and that's Wilma Rudolph. Now, some in the room are old enough to know who Wilma Rudolph is, and others are making a face at me. Wilma Rudolph was the first American woman in 1960 
to win three gold medals in track and field. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> what you don't know about Wilma Rudolph is this. When she was born, her left leg was paralyzed. And the doctor told her mother that she would probably never walk, and if she did walk, it would be with one of those heavy braces. And her mother was a woman of prayer, and she instantly began praying and would massage Wilma's leg four times a day. Praying and massaging four times a day. And she taught all of Wilma's brothers and sisters and cousins and uncles and everybody for the first nine years of her life rubbed and massaged her leg, her left leg, and prayed. One day, her mom tells a story that she was washing dishes and she looked out the window and Wilma was playing basketball with the boys with no shoes on, no sign of the paralysis anywhere. Wilma went on not only to walk, not to walk without a brace, but to win three gold medals in track and field. Now, if a little old lady can change a life like that with prayer, Imagine what God can do for you. Jesus saves us from defeat. There are parts of your life that you feel are paralyzed. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your employment. Maybe it's anything. Jesus has power to bring victory over any defeat. And the last D is death. And we talked about this a little bit last week. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And for all of sin, but fall short of the glory of God. I, I don't know about you, but I had to memorize those when I was Sunday school. I needed to know what the price of sin was and who the sinners were. And that was all of us. And my, my Sunday school teacher, Mrs. Doran, probably made us memorize that because we were a precocious bunch of children. One day at VBS, we decided that the fan, the electric fan, spun really fast and had blades in it. We wondered if we could sharpen pencils in the fan. So we, we went through the church and we found all the pencils we could. And we were just about to put the pencils in the fan when Mrs. Doran called us. Well, calls were made to parents and discussions were had. And I don't know if a pencil could be sharpened in a fan. But... At almost 60, I'd still like to find out. Wouldn't you like to know? So Mrs. Dewar made us memorize, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So what does salvation look like? What does a savior look like? I have two stories for you. Two men are working at a construction site, and they fall into a big hole. Nobody's injured, but now they're stuck down in the wet and the mud at the bottom of the hole. And the one person says to the other, help me get out of this hole. And he says, buddy, I'm stuck in the same hole you are. I can't help you. You can't help me. And they begin to call out, help, help, help. And all of a sudden, a rope comes down. See, there was a third worker on the site. He saw what happened. And while they were discussing who could get out of the hole, he went and got a rope and sent it down to pull them out. We cannot save ourselves. That's what we talked about last week. We cannot. We, the sacrifices didn't work. The prayers didn't work. Trying to live the best life you can didn't work. It wasn't until God sent his son Jesus, in essence, that rope into the hole to pull us out to say, I can save you. You need a savior. 
Now, the title of this sermon I saved, I hope the best for last, is called Swimming to Hawaii. I told the praise team that on Thursday night, and they made a funny face, which is exactly why I named it that. So, you know, there's people that swim the English Channel, and there's people that have swung from the edge of Florida to Cuba, and there's swimming a great distance. This one man said, you know what? I'm going to swim from Los Angeles to Hawaii. And he got a coach, and he got the diet, and he got time at the pool, and he practiced and practiced and practiced. And one day he was ready. He said, you know what? I'm ready. And he got in the water, and he started swimming five miles, 10 miles, 20 miles. He got so far out that he realized, there's no way I can swim all the way to Hawaii. And as he got tireder and the waves began to wear on him and he began to sink, he began to call out for help. Help, help, he said, help. And the little boat came by, stopped. He said, thank goodness. And the man says, what are you doing? He says, I'm swimming to Hawaii, but I don't think I can make it. And the man said, well, here, let me give you a waterproof copy of my book, Swimming to Hawaii. <laughs> and he tossed in the book and the boat went off. Well, let's try that story a different way. So the man gets in the water and he goes 5, 10, 20 miles out and he realizes he's never going to make it to Hawaii on his own. And a boat comes by again with a different man. And he says, help, help. He says, what are you doing? He says, I'm trying to swim, swim to Hawaii. He says, well, you're not doing it right. Nobody taught you the right way to swim. So the man jumps out of the boat and shows him the correct way to swim and gets back in the boat and off he goes. Let's try the story again. The man sets out for Hawaii, 5, 10, 20 miles out, begins to realize he'll never make it. He calls for help and a boat comes up. The man on the boat says, what's wrong? He says, I'm trying to swim Hawaii. I realized I can't make it. The man says, oh, let me help you. And he, he pulls him out of the water and he puts him on the boat and wraps him in a nice towel and gives him hot chocolate and cookies. And after a while, he says to the guy, how do you feel? He says, I feel really good. He says, good, get back in the water. We've got one more story. Man decides to swim from Los Angeles to Hawaii. He gets out 20 miles and he begins to drown and he calls for help and a boat comes up. Man says, what's going on? He says, I'm trying to swim to Hawaii. I realize I can't do it. The man says, well, let me help you. And he pulls him out, just like the third guy. And he wraps him in a towel and he gives him hot chocolate and chocolate chip cookies. How are you feeling? He says, good. He says, well, let's go to Hawaii. And the boat and the man take him to Hawaii and he lands on a nice sandy beach. That's what a savior is. The savior doesn't tell you how to do it, doesn't show you how to do it, doesn't help you until you're ready to do it on your own. A savior comes to do the work for you. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. We need a savior to rescue us from disillusionment and from defeat and from death. And if your spiritual walk, you're saying to yourself, I can't, Jesus says, you can. If you're saying, I'll never, Jesus says, you've already won. <clears throat> And if you say, Lord, I'm dying here, he says, you're alive. You're alive in me. 
If you want to pray about any of those things or something else, the deacons and the pastors would love to pray with you. And we invite you to come forward during our last hymn. We'll leave the first couple pews open. Amen.